Well, good morning and happy Easter, Littleton Christian Church. Thank you all for being here. Wonderful to have you this morning. We are here because of the story we're about to hear. This is Matthew chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Suddenly there was a severe earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were shaken and became like dead men because they were so afraid of him. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. But Jesus met them, saying, Greetings. They came to him, held on to his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me there. While they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. After they had assembled with the elders and formed a plan, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, You are to say his disciples came at night and stole his body while we were asleep. If this matter is heard before the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did just as they were instructed. And this story is told among the Jews to this day. So the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came up and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment, we're going to be quiet together. Would you speak to us by your spirit about your word? Lord, we often say on this day that we are proclaiming the greatest news the world has ever known. And I'm asking that by your spirit, through your word, you would help more of us to believe that that statement is actually true. That this is the greatest news the world has ever known. Have your way, Lord, in the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I am uh, particularly grateful 
that those of you who weekly Sunday church isn't an ordinary part of your life have come uh, down to the basement of Bethany E. Free to be with us today. Um, thank you. Thank you for doing that. And um, if, if you're here to, uh, you know, to be with family, to, uh, you know, because someone invited you and you didn't have a heart to say no or whatever, um, thank you. Thank you. And I also want to tell you, if you kind of hold church and this whole, this kind of Christian religion thing at arm's length, I don't, I actually don't blame you. I don't. Um, here's the deal. This, this faith that we have is at its best, a very relational, communal religion. We are, uh, a, we are a people who think we, we follow Jesus best when we're connected to one another in relationship. And because of that, we're every bit as messy and miscommunicating as any other relationship in this life. But it stings a little bit more when, when we're messy with it because, well, we follow a self-sacrificing, loving God who invites his people to do the same. And so when we don't do that, it, well, it stings. It stings a little bit more. I don't blame you for that. Sometimes I wonder if people say, why would I join a church? Why would I be part of this? It, it doesn't make me better. It doesn't seem to make the world any better. And sure enough, all of the mess about Christianity, it can, it can fog the message. It can make it cloudy. But believers in, endure and sometimes even savor the messy relationships because of today because of the news that we're celebrating today. We're convinced that the man Jesus lived, was executed, buried, and rose again, never to die. Never to die again. Uh, I read this week, Tim Keller says that even skeptics who are disturbed by the, the messiness of Christianity should want Easter to be true. And that's kind of a bold claim. Like, why would you want Easter to be true? Why would you want this news to be true? But here's what he means. He means that, that the, the stuff that disturbs you, the, the good in that is you want the world to be a better place. And your desire for the world to be a better place, it needs the resurrection. It needs hope. Here's what I mean. Without the resurrection, death is the last thing. It's the last thing. Many of you have faced death this year in different ways. You've lost loved ones. You've suffered in your own bodies. It's come close to you. The news itself. The death is, it seems a reality, not just for your body, but for the world. I mean, the, the basic concept for, for climate activists is that as temperatures rise and ice caps melt, the planet is becoming less habitable, it's, it feels like it's all dying. It's dying. If we take that and zoom out far enough, life as we know it is just over. It just, what, what does it matter? What does it matter? All of the, 
good things that you do or the best person you know or, or Mother Teresa or Gandhi or, or, or Nelson Mandela or whoever, all of it is ultimately lost and forgotten if death is the last thing. But if it's not, then there's reason. There's reason to join. There's reason to work. And I think there's good reason to believe that death isn't the last thing. It's not a blind leap of faith to believe the news that we're proclaiming today. So for just a couple moments, I want to just lay out for you the, some basic evidence why we're doing this today, why you put on pastels and we have, you know, strong smelling flowers here. Like why? Here's, some base, here's, here's a basic defense. It all starts with three facts that no one, like hardly anyone disagrees about. Historians of, of any faith or no faith, they agree on these th three basic facts. First, the man Jesus was a real person who lived and built a following uh, about 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire in the region of Judea. He was, he was a real person during the first century. The second fact that all historians agree on is that this man was executed under Pontius Pilate by the Roman Empire. That's the second fact. And the third thing is, within a few years of his death, within just a few years of Jesus' death, the community of his followers was growing rapidly and, and doing big sacrificial things, sometimes facing violent resistance from people on all sides because of their central unifying belief that Jesus had raised from the dead. Those are the three facts, like all historians agree on them. Jesus lived, he died, and then there's this group of people that continues to this day, hello, welcome, here we are, um, you know, based on the idea that he raised from the dead. So, all right, how about that third thing? Did he? Were they right? That's the big claim of Easter. Listen to these five pieces of evidence. Number one, the tomb was empty. The body was gone. As soon as this movement became a problem for the authorities, the Roman Empire or the Jewish authorities, uh, the simplest way to end it all, to crush the movement, would be to simply go and show, you know, produce the bones. Like, here he is. You guys are crazy. He's here. This is where he's buried. Christianity and Easter would be canceled at that point. The second thing is, the wrong people saw it first. In our story that we heard, who are the first two people who go to the tomb? These women. And that's a problem. Here's what I mean. In the, <laughs> in the 21st century, you all laugh at that, and that's, that's great. But in the first century, women were not regarded as reliable witnesses. You wouldn't prove your court case based on something a woman said. So if somebody was inventing a story, the last thing that they would do is say, the first people to see him alive were these women. Listen to them. That, you, wouldn't start, you wouldn't start a religion like that. Third, the third thing, 
This movement grew within the lifetime of those people who were alive during Jesus' death and claimed to see his resurrection. I mean, the Apostle Paul, in one of his letters, lists off all of these people who saw the resurrection. You know, he talks about Peter, he talks about the apostles, then he talks about 500 others, and he says, most of whom are still alive. In other words, you can go and ask one of them themselves. That's a big claim. When there's something that's a legend, it doesn't build that fast. It doesn't develop that fast while well, the people who are claiming that it happened are still around to either prove it, verify it, or not. The fourth thing is related to that. Huge numbers of people experienced a dramatic and sudden change in their worldview. All right, so social scholars, people who study the way societies change and move, they, you know, people change their minds about things. We shift and adjust our what's called our worldview, all right? But it happens degree by degree, generation by generation, slowly. But here, we have people who are both um, Gentiles, Romans, and Jews who totally changed their mind about the way history was going to unfold. So the Romans generally believed that to that salvation was to be set free from your body. No one would want to die and then come back into their body. That's not what, like, no, that's not what they believed. And the Jewish people, what they believed is there is a resurrection coming, but it's going to be the end of history. Like, all of the sadness and death and pain will be gone and everyone will be raised together. So one random guy in the middle of the messy story raising... Well, that's a major change for them. And yet all of these people, a massive group of people growing really fast, changed, completely changed their minds about the way the world works. And they based their lives on it. In fact, that's the fifth thing. The witnesses, many of them died for this claim. They died for their faith. The 16th century brilliant philosopher, inventor, Blaise Pascal, he says it this way. I believe those witnesses that get their throats cut. What he means if it is if somebody fabricates a story, it's very unlikely that they will stick with it when it's either that or be eaten by a lion. Almost all of the original disciples were killed for their claim that Jesus rose again. And this last point, it really sticks with me. You know what that means, friends? Their horizons of the possible had changed. It had changed. People were willing to give their lives and have been ever since because they were convinced that Jesus defeated death. And that is an embarrassment to me. Not them, but about myself. When I think of the comfort that I expect in my own life, the entitlement that I live with, what about you? What about you? 
So considering those witnesses who died for their faith, I want to invite you to join me in a prayer of confession. For I live much of my life as if the resurrection didn't change anything. And today, Easter Sunday, is the day to recalibrate. Let's pray this prayer together. Almighty God, you have raised Jesus from the grave and crowned him Lord of all. And yet we have denied him. We have fled from him when fearful. Forgive us and restore us that we may be your faithful people, obeying the commands of Jesus Christ, the victorious one. Amen. Let's be silent for a moment as we confess. Hey, kids, I want to say in particular, thank you for being part of the big, the big gathering with all of these grown-ups today. And thanks for listening to me when I talk for a long time. Um, I appreciate that. Um, so I'm not going to talk as long right now. You already got some. But let's, let's uh, we talk about how Jesus rose and give these proofs for it, but so what? Like, what does that mean for us in our lives right now? And I, I want to just give you five quick things, all right? Five quick things, I promise, all right? If Jesus did, in fact, rise again, here's what happens in our lives. Number one, pray. Now, okay, pray. Of course the pastor's going to say pray. Like, yeah, I get it. And we use the idea of pray super generically. Consider this, this person, Jesus, died, rose again, and is still alive now. And so when we say pray, we're saying you can talk to him. You can have a conversation with that person. We're not talking about philosophy and ideas here. We're not talking about the general concept of God and religion and how it works. We're talking about there's, there's a person you can interact with. And that's a stunning reality. And you may think, well, not me. <laughs> not me. Like, I got to get some stuff worked out before I can interact with him. But don't forget the story of the cross, you guys. Like how far he was willing to go so that you could talk with him. He's already with you right there in your mess. He's already with you. Pray. Number two, join. Join. Now, I'm, I'm kind of talking about Littleton Christian Church. Like, that'd be cool um, <laughs> if you're not part of it. That'd be cool. You're welcome. But he came claiming to be the king, meaning... He came setting up a kingdom, and that kingdom is made up of his followers who are following together. And when he raised, it vindicated all of that. He was the king. He's sitting on the throne. And so our first response to his resurrection is to believe that his kingdom is still going and to be a part of it. Being committed to a group of people, a group of believers, and seeking to follow him together, that's a great way to live out and practice the resurrection. And you guys, 
we're one of many great gatherings of believers right here in this building, <laughs> much less in this area. Thank what a gift God has given to this to this community. There there are there are communities where you can do just that. You can participate, you can follow, you can be part of the kingdom together. And if you do it with us, there's simple ways that we try to follow and be part of the kingdom together. Like, you know, the 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 there's a group of women on Monday mornings and, and Thursday evenings who gather and just open up the word and discuss it together. There's a group of guys on Thursday mornings who gather together. We just we read scripture and and we let it expose us. We let it challenge us. We talk about it. We wrestle with it together. Those are really simple ways that you can start participating in the kingdom and see what else it would look like in your life. All right? The third thing is kind of a harsh word, obey. Obey. Throughout his life, Jesus presented a way of life that is basically nonsensical. I mean, if you've read through the Gospels, have you noticed that? The last or first, the weak are strong. Uh, um, the servant of all is the greatest of all. It's basically nonsensical. Pick up your, deny yourself and follow him. Why would we do that? Lend to those to whom you don't expect repayment. Turn the other cheek. Forgive the person who sins against you without end over and over. It all seems so weak. And yet, the resurrection vindicates a life in which the greatest act of weakness turned out to be the ultimate victory. That's the story of the resurrection. Jesus conquered death. The resurrection means that what we do to suffer on behalf of the world will in fact contribute to the well-being of the world. That's what it will do. We participate in the life of the world with the confidence that these steps toward life are continuing his victory on the cross. Now, here's, here's one small thing that a, a handful of us in this church are doing. We are, we're training to run a marathon and a half marathon. There's a group of us training to do that. And we're doing it um, with World Vision, trying to raise money for clean water projects. And I'll tell you, training for a marathon is miserable. It is. Like, I've, without doing, without falling or anything, I've injured myself training for this, just by training. It's ridiculous. It's, it's miserable. And look, that's not like suffering, you know, that's not suffering on the scale that a lot of the world knows. But what we're doing with, clean water projects in mind is based on the hope that that will matter, not just for, for a generation or two, but that that's part of God remaking the world. So I want to invite up one of our team members, Nathan Jorgensen, and he's going to share why he is doing this insane thing, <laughs> training, running, and serving. So welcome, Nate. Can you all hear me? Yes. Great. Um, well, happy Easter. Christ has risen. 
Hey, this is fun. I like that. Um, so first of all, thank you to Mike and to the staff. Um, to think that my story might encourage you uh, is, is really wonderful um, and, and very humbling. So I'm, I'm very thankful to be up here. So uh, a big thank you there. Um, but my story starts uh, when I was in high school. And I um, really thought that, you know, I could change the world through water projects. And as, uh, as all, you know, high school juniors or seniors do, when I was thinking about colleges, I looked uh, no farther than the, the Colorado School of Mines and saw that they had humanitarian engineering as a minor. And I thought, boy, I can go, you know, help those in need through water projects with this humanitarian engineering minor. Uh, and through the course of study, I realized that it's much more complicated than that and uh, sort of let the, the dream kind of expire um, and, you know, followed the, the path of civil engineering uh, along the, you know, the coursework and now into the industry. And now I still help people just, you know, with raw water storage in the Western United States. It looks a little different. But I think the Lord has given me a passion for uh, the developing world and clean water projects there, uh, and this is a chance to sort of renew and, um, and fulfill that, that dream and desire that the Holy Spirit has given me. Um, and so I really agree that it is, it is painful. Um, I joked with my wife that it is suffering. My hips are suffering after yesterday. I ran nine miles, and it, uh, I feel every, every step of those nine miles. Uh, but, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything, and I really feel... Um, grateful and and i it's it's for the children it's for the uh you know those that don't have clean water and that, that's why i do that yeah absolutely thank you yeah. it's really a privilege to uh to do things with guys like nate things like this and you know this isn't a plug this isn't a planned plug but if you want to sponsor nate or any other one else on our team and participate in the clean water projects, there's ways to do that on our, uh, on our website. So the last, the last, or second to last, sorry, uh, way that we can live out the resurrection is hope. It's hope. Remember Tim Keller said that, that skeptics should want it to be true. I mean, and I mentioned climate activists, right? And that may have brought up feelings in either direction for you by mentioning them. But at the very core, like the most aggressive climate activist believes that this world is good and it's worth preserving and stewarding. But decay in human nature, what Jesus calls the moths and the thieves and the rust that destroys, um, they seem to eat away at it. And many people just fear it's, it's too late. Others of you have tasted the bitterness of death this year. You've buried parents or siblings. You've suffered the heartbreak of, of miscarriage. You've suffered in your own bodies. But the resurrection, remember it changed the Jewish people's idea about how the resurrection happens. Instead of a great resurrection at the end, there's one tiny bud bursting up through the dry ground. That's proof that the big one's coming. The big one is coming. Jesus walking almost unnoticed out of Joseph's tomb says death is not the last thing. The world is being 
remade in our very midst. And we get to, we get to participate in the glorious remaking of this world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the last way we can live it out, friends, is we feast together. We feast. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, like before he was going to die, he offered his body to his followers, like giving them bread and wine. And it, it's bizarre. It's weird. Why is he doing this? Why is he saying these things? You know, it's like, man, it, by the end of dinner, if, if Judas wasn't sure he wanted to betray him, I'm sure he's like, this guy's crazy. I'm, I'm out of here. And yet in his resurrection, Whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, here's what we are remembering, that that death has given us life. So, friends, on the very night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, take this and eat it. This is my body, which is given for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he's coming because he's alive. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for the gift of your body and your blood and that now your death has been vindicated. This is the pathway to you ruling over a glorious kingdom that you've invited every one of us, youngest to oldest, to be a part of. Hallelujah. Thank you for that gift. In Jesus' name.